Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Uh, something smells mesquite in my house. <laughs> that's not something here. Is, I mean, that's, yeah, is that the Arizona fires? That's a reasonable, the that's guys... a reasonable thing to say up down here. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's the trees outside. I look at, I'm, I, I look at my cat who looks really uh, like she's up to, up to something. Mesquite. Uh, <laughs> Hi, everybody. It's the next real film board. And we're going to talk about Zompocalypse 2013, starring Steve Sarmento. Good evening. And Andy Nelson. Hello. And I'm Pete Wright. And uh, it's a, uh, our monthly special event. It's getting less special. The more we do, <laughs> the less special it is. We've lost our, our dear friends uh, this week. We've lost uh, Tom Metz. We've lost Chad Stoops. We've lost okay. Mike <laughs> Evans. You make it sound like they died or something. Yeah, just, they, just they did not. They We've just, just they just couldn't join us, right? Well, they've lost them temporarily. Okay, it's it, I temp, just temporary loss. Uh, we've so lost. Like, <laughs> they wandered off in the grocery store. They're in a different aisle. We'll find them later. Well, I guarantee you, Chad is actually riding in the cart somewhere, and he's somebody is not pushing him, and so he's just sitting there somewhere, crying near the butter. 
Uh, so we're talking about World War Z tonight. Uh, that's our latest new release uh, fun film. And the big question I have for you, gentlemen, the big question, the question has been weighing on me since I saw this film and since the last 11 movies we've done. Have we broken the film board curse? Who would like to begin? I feel like we have. <gasps> I mean, I, I feel like there's been a few movies here and there that we've we've kind of liked, but nothing that we've all like really loved. And I, don't, I you know, just speaking out of turn without really knowing what everyone's going to say, I really enjoy World War Z. And uh, to me, it feels like this is the summer movie that I've been waiting for. Wow. Bold words from Andy Nelson. Steve. I wholeheartedly agree. <gasps> Woohoo! <laughs> two wow. for two. Oh my goodness. Now the pressure's on you. Is it a trifecta? I had a blast watching this movie. I had a blast. I feel like balloons are supposed to fall down. I know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it was great. I I I quite enjoyed this movie. I it was although I will say it was not the movie I thought it was going to be. And and probably better as a result. Had you read the book? No, that's on. It's already on my iPad for my uh, my pending vacation. Gotcha. I'm very gotcha. excited now. Especially your review has come in quite high for this, and, and now that I've seen the movie, I I feel like from what I've heard, and you, you check me on my logic here, that the the book actually could be conceived of as sort of a prequel or in the same universe as as the movie, but not it. it it's not the movie. The book is completely uh, taken after the zombie apocalypse has happened, after they've gotten rid of uh, the zombies. And it's an, a reporter basically going around the world, interviewing people about how they survived the zombie apocalypse. It's all post-apocalypse, and it's done in kind of a, a newspaper journalist style. Each chapter is a different interview. Fascinating book. It's, a, it's an absolutely wonderful and fun read. Uh, my understanding is that they're looking to do a trilogy. I'm obviously pending the success of this film, but it's one of those uh, ideas, I guess, that they had. Let's make this first film about the outbreak and uh, just dealing with, you know, trying to figure out how to stop it. I'm guessing the second film will be about stopping it. And the third film may be more like the book. I don't really know. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I would like that, too. Yeah. Steve, have you read the book? Yeah, actually, I just finished it on Friday afternoon before I saw the film. Oh, well, that's so, timely. Yeah, so I was I had started it, and I had put it down for a little bit and jumped back into it, because I thought, right, let me just wrap this up just in case there's some pieces that I want to make some some connections to from the book to the film. And, you know, seeing everything, thing with the trailers and everything i thought oh my gosh this has nothing in common with this book that i'm reading but now after seeing it, it it's like a thematic sibling because I, I can see now sort of which elements they drew from the book that i can i can see that connection of how how can you still label this world war z when it's so different from the book but there are some of those thematic elements that i see the connections to so i i'm I thought I was going to really dislike this because they strayed from the source material, but I really see that they, it's a, it's a translation into a film and you have to make some sacrifices. And I, I think they latched onto some core ideas from the book and, and wove those through this film. And I'm, I enjoyed that. One of the things that we talked about early on when, when this, when we first saw this movie coming out, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm fairly, uh, freakishly in love with the whole zombie uh, kind of oeuvre, uh, that this movie was it, it, struggling a little bit because of strife on the set, struggle on the set, handoffs and, and conflict between Brad Pitt and the producers. And, and I, I don't know uh, what, if any of that is is true, but uh, I, I, what I have heard is the movie struggled. Did you guys get any sense of that in watching the movie? Did did you have that in the back of your mind as you're watching this film that, that um, you know, did, did the movie suffer at all from your anticipation of that sort of uh, onset struggle? It didn't for me. I I mean, I went in wondering what it was that uh, had caused such problems. Uh, looking back, 
I believe that there were stories about how they went, uh, they pushed it back. It was supposed to be released December 2012. They pushed it back six months to do extensive reshoots uh, of the finale, is my understanding. So I'm wondering if the entire bit um, in that last, uh, after the, the big plane scene, everything after that, I'm wondering if that was all entirely new material and, and they had to write, write and redo an entirely new ending. But I, but I didn't feel that. I, I didn't watch it going, wow, this ending feels tacked on. No, that's that's my understanding. I had read an article and they were talking about the ending. They said they had they had written a a large sort of set piece ending and then decided to go in a different direction and take it in a what as they described it, a sort of smaller, more personal story to to wind it down. Uh, so the, it, I was kind of curious what that transition point was going to be as I was watching it and seeing that how the film, you know, wraps itself up. I thought, OK, this is a nice I'm 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 enjoying the way that they sort of tied this story off at the end. So I I I didn't get a sense of, oh, it's a tacked on ending. They had to change some things. It, it felt like a very natural conclusion to the story. Yeah, I'm looking online right now, and, and Mark Forster says the original third act with its big battle, they had, it was a, a great big zombie battle, he said, was like every Hollywood movie. It's that big set piece, and it was all about bigger and louder than everything else that came before it. Uh, I think what happened was that they realized that it needed to be, uh, they needed to reconnect with uh, Jerry, uh, Brad Pitt's character, and, and make it more of this personal uh, finish to the end of the film. Uh, okay, so it, you know it's interesting that you that you you sort of say it that way, and I, I you know I'm, there's a, a Wired article that that uh, I just read prior to recording that that has an interesting angle to it. Uh, you know the 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 headline is uh, you know World War Z would have been better if it weren't a zombie movie, and in there there's a there's a clip or a, a quote from Brad Pitt. He's introducing the the film at a screening in San Francisco. Uh, and he stands up and says, if you think you're just about to see another zombie film, you're in for a bit of a shock. This thing is big. It's like nothing you have seen before. Uh, I, you know, you come off from a, a clip, a quote like that, and you're thinking, well, of course, I'm expecting the giant set piece. And yet I think what, you know, what Mark Forster ends up delivering in the, in the finale of this film is, is not that. Um, and, and I think it's more compelling as a result. Um, you know, what do you, what do you think about the personal touch in this, uh, in the film where otherwise the first or the second act in particular is, is giant? You know, I think it's important. Uh, I think it's a very important element in this film uh, to connect to this family. When you're doing a story that is essentially on a, on a truly a global scale, you really still need to find the protagonist the protagonist of the of the film and you need to have the motivation for that person to be moving through the story i think that they really did a uh, a, a smart thing focusing on not just brad pitt's character of jerry but also his family and his need to do this in order to protect his family and you know my understanding is that they had done preview screenings of this and there was actually more of the family in there more of the eldest daughter who um, had, uh, there was, I guess, a bigger scene with her where she um, kind of snaps. It's, it's like the, the psychological damage that she had been, you know, inflicted of seeing the zombies and dealing with all of this stuff. And when they're on the ship, she actually kind of snaps and, and kind of goes crazy and starts hitting people. And they actually jail her in a cell and the mom has to keep visiting. And, and you, you can see that throughout the film, you'll notice there are a good number of times where when Jerry is calling back to talk to his wife, it's you just see the mom with the younger sister. You don't see the older sister anywhere <laughs> really until the end. And it's interesting. You can kind of tell knowing that they had shot those scenes that those had been uh, cut out. I'm guessing that they just maybe didn't test well or something. But I, I, I'd, I'd be curious to see those scenes. It sounds to me like a very interesting bit of additional family drama that really helps also tie in the struggle that not just Jerry is going through of actually trying to find, uh, you know, the, um, the, where the origin of this disease came from, but also really trying to uh, show us how his family is also dealing with this struggle, even though they're not 
directly being affected by zombies, but the the psychological damage that's that they're battling at the same time. So uh, it's it. I think it'd be really interesting to look at that stuff. Well, I think so too, and I think that's a I, you know I think that that works at the disservice of the the sort of long term sort of shelf strength of the film. Um, taking out that family stuff. Uh, it's like pushing it more toward the the uh, the action zombie thriller when I don't think the movie wants to be that. And I certainly don't get the impression from you guys that the DNA of the material the, from the Max Brooks book uh, wants it to be that. That this that that the material really wants to be a, a character driven film about, you know, the destruction and rebuilding. But it's not a it, it's less a zombie movie. I couldn't help but think that. Uh, but see this movie as as more akin to, um, you know, contagion or uh, outbreak uh, and the Motaba virus from from outbreak, um, you know, than uh, twenty eight days later. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it no, just I, it totally. Yeah, it's I I really I mean yeah. If you if you're walking in thinking you're going to get a zombie movie. I mean, I think going back to 28 Days Later with, you know, the introduction of the, you know, fast zombies and things like that. Was that it was 28 Days Later? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And just the controversy around that for some of the, you know, zombie purists. I think a lot of them would be very disappointed because this is it is not your, you know, shuffling, you know, undead, you know, brain eaters zombie film. It's it's very different. And I, I even struggled to call it a zombie film because it's it's they're sort of a catalyst. They're almost like the MacGuffin to get these other things going on. Um, so it's, yeah, it's to me, it's a different type of movie. And I, I can under, understand why it may not gain traction with some of those diehard zombie fans, which I think is a shame. But I also, you know, sort of regret that it's being pushed as a zombie film because I think a lot of people will enjoy this film that think, oh, I don't want to go see a zombie movie. You know, it's, you know, it's not my type of thing. I'm not into that. And they're going to miss out on a really great film that's got some, you know, great characters, some great things that it has to say about individuals and society in in this story. Yeah, I I, I really agree with that. Um, and I think it's even a shame in the in the the sort of it's it's not lost enough in the dramatic sort of play of the film. They use the word zombie too many times. Uh, I think they could exercise the zombie uh, vernacular from the film, um, you know, even as it's sort of the the play on the disease that is sort yeah. of the way they're using it. They should just get rid of it because it's it. You know, this is they they introduce it well in the beginning and say this is a combination yeah. of like rabies and a disease we don't understand. But um, but, but, but I it's like something how they. Different. I like how they played with that, though. I really liked that it was just somebody in an email saying, basically describing what for what he looked at this patient as was this is everything I've ever seen in zombie movies. Essentially, that's what this guy is like. You know, it's like a, a, just a dead person who's just, you know, mindless and only wants to feast on human flesh. I mean, sure, they maybe didn't die. They just, they got a, just a really sucky disease is really what happens to these people. But, I mean, it comes from an email, and everybody latches on to it because we've never seen it before. They act like what we've seen in every zombie movie. It's I mean, I like that this movie kind of acknowledges, without acknowledging, the fact that, you know, people are, are reactively calling these zombies just based on what they know of zombies. And I liked the way that that kind of came about, just as like somebody threw it out in an email and everybody just kind of latched onto it. You might say it um, went viral. Uh, <laughs> what? I was, I was expecting that one. What? Yeah. Uh, That's well, right. The, I got the there other first. That, the other thing that I found interesting was for a PG-13 film that's about zombies, there was, and I, I think you're going to find more gore and horror in walking dead because you don't have these shuffling decomposing bodies. I watched this going, wow, they, there's not a lot of gore. There's not a lot of blood. There's some, there's some jumps. There's some scares. There's because of the way just the mob scenes are shot. There's only a few zombies that we really see up close. And because the time frame of this story is again, you know, very, very condensed over just, you know, what maybe a week you don't have those you know you know exposed bones and you know 
the organs falling out. I'm like, okay, they're, they look, you know, they're, they're scary looking, but it's not something where I'm like, wow, this would be something, you know, I'm thinking I, I would be comfortable taking my 13 year old daughter to this because there's not that amount of, you know, gore and, and horror elements to it. And I think that's the other thing that, uh, you know, maybe preventing a lot of people from seeing it. Oh, it's a zombie film. It's got that stuff. I don't like seeing that. And I think people should know there's, there's some violence to it, but again, if, if you're squeamish about blood, there's not a lot in this and the, the zombies are not, you know, the typical horrific, you know, decomposed corpses walking around. But it's really just an intensity. Yes. Yeah. There is it's certainly an intensity. I think that the, the final sequence of, you know, the, I guess we're beginning some more uh, vibrant spoilers here. Yes. Uh, the the final sequence of him, uh, you know, of the the search through the vault of of diseases, um, I, I thought was really successfully intense. Um, where, but that that really, I think, is the first time we get some nice isolated close ups of the zombies. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, and looking yeah. through the windows of the gnashing, or the the clapping teeth. Yeah, they look. They. Look, I'm trying. I've been trying to figure out what they look like. They're more like sort of rabbits or ferrets. Than, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, it's this kind of cross between Hellraiser and uh, you know a squirrel. The, the chattering teeth. Yeah, yeah it's right? interesting yeah. how once they get the disease, it's like their teeth protrude a little more, just a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I thought that was uh, that was a, a really well. Uh, well done and and intense sequence. Uh, the, the you know particularly that it was mostly uh, you know light. Every time they they walked into a room, the bright lights came on, and I thought that was great because they still managed to make it scary and intense. Um, you know, even though uh, you know it was in a uh, area that was so sterile and clean and otherwise you know quite apart from the horrific deadly diseases, uh, really quite harmless. <laughs> if it yeah. was incredibly intense that whole yes. end oh, sequence yeah. just because of the stillness of everything and just all of those accidental noises anything like that i mean it really got your heart pumping and i felt that that was i mean as a rewritten ending wow i thought that forrester really uh, hit it out of the park coming up with a tense uh, very intimate ending i really enjoyed that wholly yes Yes. Yes, I, I agree <laughs> I concur. Well. Uh, Something else about the zombies that I liked, I do like how we, we get these ones at the end that we can actually identify, but I do like how the zombies, for the rest of the film, it's almost, I don't want to call it a pack mentality. I don't think they were operating that way. But cer- I did Certainly like the, swarm. But yeah, it was, it was a swarm. It was like this animal instinct that just drove them to feed uh, or climb on top of each other. There was a complete disregard for any anything that you would normally be cognizant of. You know, falling from heights. Uh, you know, smacking into something. Anything that a normal brain would process, they didn't process anymore. And I found that really fascinating. Something I've never seen in zombie films before. And uh, it really struck me as a smart decision with these zombies. I really liked that difference in this film. Uh, let's talk about Brad. How'd Brad do? Was he believable as this former UN investigator? I, you know, at, at, as the credits were rolling, I went with a friend and we talked about it. Said, it, you know, the casting was nice. I mean, you walk in this, it's a Brad Pitt vehicle, but you didn't have. I mean, you you buy into that of okay, he's going to be this character. We all know it's Brad Pitt, but everybody else was cast in a way that there might be some recognizable faces, but not to the point where it becomes a distraction of like, oh, it's that guy. Oh, okay, I've seen him before. So it was nice because you you could focus in on him. There were recognizable faces. You could keep track of who everyone was. But I think in casting, it was smart choices because we could really hone in on his story. And I mean, I'm not saying Oscar-worthy performances of Brad Pitt, but he kept me engaged and carried me through the story, which I think was what that character's role was meant to do. And, you know, as a, as a father of, of two daughters and, you know, it's like, I can, I I can really relate and identify with this guy and what he's, what he's got to do to keep his family safe. Yeah. I, I really connected with him. I think mostly because he did bring this, uh, this family connection and this world weariness that he carried through the film and i could i could see that in his face 
and you know, I think he's just at an age where he's got a few more lines on his face. And I think it, it worked really well to just give him a little more of a tired look, but also the nature of him having stepped away from what he did to be a family man and how he uh, really wanted to just have no part in any of it because he wanted to be with his family. I, I just found a lot of strength in that. And I really enjoyed watching him struggle to make the decisions that he had to make and everything. And, you know, I think it was a really strong performance for a genre film, essentially. But I think, I think he really did a great job with it. Can Maybe you guys can fill in a, a hole for me. I think, as I, I agree with you on, uh, you know, on the merits of his performance, I think he did it. I, I really do think he did a great job. And, uh, you know, as a dad, I found that part of the role completely believable. Um, I, I loved watching him and the way he worked uh, and, and communicated with, uh, you know, Karen, his wife, uh, played by the um, lovely Mireille Enos. Mm-hmm. Mireille. M- Mireille, you got it. Uh, I, uh, well, I was trying, trying to translate to, <laughs> to English. Oh, okay. Um, it's, I, I, knew, I knew I'd crush that one the first time. Uh, you know, I loved their relationship. I particularly loved him trying to convince her that he had to do this. You know, that, that you know, that when, when he finally comes clean and says, you know, they're going to kick you off the boat. Yeah. Uh, I have to do this or they will kick us off the boat. Um, I, I thought that was great. I Where it f- falls apart a little bit for me is I just didn't quite buy the fact that he was the guy that they had to send with all these Navy SEALs and this doctor, you know, like the, I, I just don't feel like I understood enough of his backstory as a UN investigator and the places he's been and why he is quote unquote, the perfect person for this. Well, I, I that was, you know, seeing the previews and everything, I'm like, Oh, what makes Brad Pitt this, you know, magical you know superhero character that's got to save humanity by jetting around the world but i thought there was enough ambiguity about what he had done in his past you know he'd been places we don't it's not clear exactly what his role was but it's clear that he's a worldly man he's been in dangerous places and his role you know was to sort of shepherd this uh you know this this doctor you know, this this young doctor to these places to help him get these places. So as he said, you know, OK, the, these these guys that are with us, they're they're hammers. Everything they see is a nail. So, you know, they're here to do one thing and that's it. So you need to tell me if you need something. So he was sort of the liaison to help sort of this get this guy through this you know, apocalypse and how do you handle with, you know, negotiating with the governments, getting into see places. So I thought he brought that experience of being in these places where people are, their lives are at risk, you know, there's upheaval. And so I thought there's enough ambiguity that I don't know exactly what his skills are, but there's enough that I know he's the guy that's got some unique experiences that he's the one that's going to be able to do this, or he's the one they need to do this. And I just I bought that and went with it and enjoyed it. Yeah, I probably should have let go and and just bought it, but I couldn't because you know here is this this guy that is so special on a on in a, a, a naval fleet off the coast of the country. They have uh, you know hundreds, uh, if not thousands, of soldiers and administrators trying to keep you know things together, and yet they're going to move heaven and earth to go into the city and track down Brad Pitt and his family, um, you know, over the course of a night, you, you know, that, that, that was, that was such an important thing to the operation. I, I just, I, I felt well, like I needed a little bit more cement. Um, I think also, I mean, look at it this way. This is a, a time when the president has been killed. The vice president is missing. A lot of people aren't around anymore. This, this guy, I can't remember, um, his name, who uh, was the UN ambassador or whatever he was, uh, knew Brad Pitt and knew what he had done and and knew that he is somebody who could handle it. In a way, it kind of, I don't know if this is a fair uh, comparison, but it's like the um, in Battlestar Galactica, how the uh, Secretary of Education ends up becoming the president because everyone else has been wiped out, right? It's like he is the person who is like may, uh, the last one that they know of who they can contact who has the skills to handle this. That's actually I, that's actually a really good comparison. I think that's that that does help. 
And I think it's interesting. I think he shows it in his conversations. Like he knows how to communicate with the people. He knows how to communicate with the pilots so that they listen to him. He knows how to communicate with the people at the uh, at the WHO compound in uh, wherever it is. I can't remember where they go to the end. Um, he knows how to communicate with them and, and have the right conversations with them so they will listen to him and they will make these phone calls that he needs them to make so that they uh, start listening to him and the things that he's saying. I, I think that they wrote him in a way where I buy into that with this character. Yeah, I can I, I can see that. Um, I, I still, I, you know, for me, I still think it could have been stronger, uh, a stronger connection. But I, I the connection, uh, the, the parallel to Battlestar is, is a good one for me. Uh, let's see who else running down the cast. I I think uh, Daniela Curset or Cortez played uh, Sagan. Mm. Man, that was great. Right? <laughs> what? What's so funny? That wasn't it, funny. What she went through was not funny. It was no, not funny. No, it's not funny at nothing all. Nothing funny about you guys should be ashamed laughing <laughs> at what what poor Sagan went through. It's it's really fantastic. I I loved, I I just loved all of her scenes. I think she plays this this uh, just exhausted soldier really well. And then having that happen, I, I just thought it was really powerful and just horrible. Uh, it it is horrible and it, sudden. It, it is it happens so it's, fast. And I think that that is a real strength of that uh, of that sequence is how they uh, how they manage to. Um, sort of everything slows down and then they accelerate through this this horrific sequence of of um, Sagan getting uh, bit and we've already established I think really well uh, the timeline uh, for conversion uh, as the disease takes over once you're bit he's he is we've repeated this whole you know one one thousand two one thousand Brad Pitt counting uh, to see just how long he has before somebody uh, actually um, you know turns and then he makes the decision uh as she gets bit he he whips out his blade and and cuts off her hand and he does it so fast uh and the the response on her face is so beautiful uh as as she looks in shock at this stump uh I mean, it, it was. It is a really, really moving sequence. I think it's a really powerful, uh, powerful sequence. I think she does it really well. And their relationship that kind of comes out of this bond of amputation, uh, I think, ends up being a really special part of the last part of this film. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, especially you know the the conversation that they have on the plane when she asks him if he's a doctor, and he's yeah. like. He's like, no, but it's just like, yeah, I've been, you know, trained and, it feel, and it's like, okay, realizing that, you know, all those things that we depend on, the doctors are here, you know, this, all that's gone. And it's like, we have to react off of instinct and other things that we may know to get us out of this. We can't depend on all the systems that have been in place. You know, there's not always a doctor in the house to take care of these things. It's we deal with it the best that we can and we move on. And I think there's that, that realization and there's that, that trust that develops between those two that was again, one of those moments where it's like, okay, it's the summer blockbuster, but wow, there's so many great character moments in this film, you know, from that on the plane between those two. And then when they get to the WHO building and, you know, his encounter with those guys there. And I was actually concerned because I thought, Oh my gosh, they, she's gone. They wrote her off. She's, you know, she left or something. I felt this great sense of loss that, she was gone out of the story. And I thought, Oh, we have such a great team here. And then they bring her in. I was like, Oh, good. Okay. They bring her in clean and strong and amputated, but yes, really nicely. You know, I thought that was, <laughs> yeah, uh, they did a great job there. She's great. And, and, and just her reactions when she pulls the gun out, you know, they're like, no shooting. You gotta be quiet. And she's just, I mean, you know, it's such a great instinct for the character. And yeah, I just love those moments with her. Uh, the the doctors at the WHO office. Uh, let's see, Peter Peter Capaldi, uh, Pierre Francesco Favino, Ruth Nega, Moritz Bliebtro. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to translate that one. That was okay. really great. Right, that was good. You've been taking uh, your Rosetta I stuff have... classes, haven't you? <laughs> 
Uh, I particularly like these guys. Uh, 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 Peter, uh, Peter Capaldi and Pierfrancesco Francesco Favino. I think it was particularly uh, an interesting and compelling character when these guys were on screen. And I, I think the sequence that I th- was was most powerful to me was this uh, this point where they were they were doing the trust dance. Yeah. Yes. And uh, uh, you know him trying to find out what is going on with his family, uh, and not trusting them enough, and needing the the you know bona fides uh, from Terry on the sat phone. I think they they had a, a really uh, solid exchange. It was a great moment also finding out what had happened to his family and that exchange about families and how Brad Pitt instantly judges him about not understanding anything only right. to learn that this guy is actually even worse off. Oh, you know? yes. Yeah. How, a wonderfully powerful moment right there. I mean, you couldn't have written that better, I didn't think. No, I, I don't. And, or executed it better. I think Brad Pitt, it's, you know, this is, this is a performance from a Brad Pitt that couldn't have happened 10 years ago. No, absolutely not. This is a Brad Pitt who who definitely needed to have a family and needed to be able to to latch onto that in this performance, which he does. Yeah, and and mature as an actor. I mean, I think he's just. He's, I I think what what I feel like I'm seeing here is is um, a, a Brad Pitt that's that's uh, not just a celebrity for good looks and celebrity's sake and you know, you know marriage gossip, but a, a Brad Pitt that is has uh, has become a, a really supremely talented actor yeah um yeah uh okay who else you who else stands out to you did you, did anybody notice matthew fox in this movie yes, yes briefly i was like okay. wait is that matthew fox and then i it was to call him again i go that's a really weird casting i thought oh maybe it's just it must be a guy that looks like him because if it's matthew fox you'd there'd be a clearer shot of him or something because it was always just very quick it was he was like what one of the guys that sort of just it was when they were getting on the plane or the helicopter and, and then he he come yeah he, he at the helicopter scene yeah. he's the one who helps helps the family get onto the helicopter uh, right when they're in uh, new jersey and right. then he's also on the ship later when the family's getting kicked off the boat he's the one right. who goes down and yeah talks to them. but it was just very very brief, very quick. It was yeah. like a special guest credit. Yeah, but, like, but a okay. lot of these, a lot yeah. of these faces were. A lot of them came yeah. kind of. Yeah, seems true. to have those sorts of moments. David Morris, I thought, you know, I always loved David oh, Morris. Yes. he's just a fantastic actor, uh, and it's just a really kind of, uh, just a really creepy role in this, and uh, definitely more meat than Matthew Fox's role. Um, but just looking at his mouth, it was like that was no horrible. Teeth. Oh, that was oh, but it's such fantastic. a real fantastic. It's, it's it's moments like that where it, it, I saw it was those connections back to the book yeah, because exactly. the book was really about how different how different nations, different cultures respond to you know a, a, a disaster of different types and and to say oh you know North Korea basically pulled the teeth out of every citizen in. How many hours? It was like seventy-two hours, or something that everybody's teeth have been pulled because there's no teeth, no bite. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's so smart. It's so smart, <laughs> and it's but it's it's so ridiculous and insane. Yeah. But it's like, oh, of course, that's what we would expect out of North Korea, right. and that's what it brought me back to the book because the book does that of how these different nations respond, and that's again, I thought, ah, it's it's not straight out of the book, but it's it's akin to, and it's it's that thematic, you know, touchstone back to it. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in familiar territory. That's what this film is really about. It's really, how does, how does this society respond? And actually, as I was thinking about those elements of the film, it reminded me of a book that Stephen King had written way back in the early eighties, one of his few nonfiction books. He'd written a book called uh, Dance Macabre, and I think it was in 81, and he talked about sort of the history of, of horror films and how what's sort of in the zeitgeist of the time is how horror films key into things. And he talked about how, you know, 50s, it was the whole nuclear era and the atomic bomb, and there was the, all that fear about it. So there were lots of horror films about nuclear, you know, radiation causing, you know, giant, you know, insects to become huge or, you know, people to shrink or become, you know, gigantic um, in the 80s, there were all these teen slasher films, 
you know, about, you know, if you, you know, kids are, are promiscuous, you're going to end up dead. It was back to that fear of, you know, sexually transmitted diseases and AIDS, sort of that, those elements. And as I came back, as I thought about this one of what is it that our society nowadays fears? Why are zombies such a, a popular thing? What is it that it's, it's keen into? And I think this film brings in several of those elements, not only sort of like biological terrorism and a virus, you know, going well, but also how nations will react, you know, either to come together and, and co collaborate or to just isolate themselves. In the, in the case of Israel, you know, building those walls and just sort of becoming this, this fortress and isolating themselves. And that's, to me, one of the great strengths of this film is, you know, as it is part of the book as well, how do we as a world respond to large scale disasters and how are we is humanity going to endure? What will we need to do to survive some type of coming viral epidemic outbreak? You know, it's a very timely sort of cultural breadcrumb. Um, when you look at, uh, you know, so last year's big thing was, uh, ah, man, Facebook and Google are taking my information and selling it for advertising. Oh, what a <laughs> violation of my privacy. And then we find out about Prism, and suddenly selling my information for advertising doesn't seem so bad, uh, because now there's somebody listening to my phone calls, or not listening to my phone calls, of course, that's not entirely accurate, at least as we understand it, but that somebody knows who I'm calling and where I'm calling right. them, right? And, oh, that's a violation, but I'm really kind of more okay with Facebook now. And world, here comes World War Z, which is not just, I think, a lesson of the fear of um, kind of the modern world, right? Because that's that's really, I think, what what is one of the major elements of uh, that is reflected here, that, uh, you know, we are terrified of, of all of the modernity that we've created and don't quite understand in terms of disease and infection and what could happen when systems fail. But also, as you say, there's this sense of authoritarianism and coming to terms with what it would take for us to accept the police state. And in this case, as civilization is falling, that is, that's what it would take for us to get on a boat. That's what it would take for us to accept, a, you know, a major military presence. You know, I think it's just pushing that, that limit of that reflection, you know, as if, if this film is a mirror sort of held up for us to, to review this element of our cultural acceptance of today, um, to me, it's that point of, of, you know, authoritarianism and how these different nations are, are able to um, allay the masses. And I think that's really interesting. I think that makes this movie uh, so much more compelling than your average run-and-gun zombie flick. Well, and that goes back to how the zombies are different in this one yeah. as well, because as, we, as I thought about it, you know, sort of how the the— for lack of a better term, sort of the, the short-term solution that they developed is it's not a cure. It's not, you know, an eradication of the zombies. It's how can we sort of coexist with them? Because we have to be, we have to become invisible to them because, you know, it going back to that, as Andy was saying, you know, these zombies is it's sort of this, you know, swarm mentality in this. I thought, you know, now that we, as I think I understand, you know, what they did, to sort of, you know, you've got to, you've got to become, I don't know, infected with something and you, you know, you become invisible to them. And I started to think, does that mean then they don't even see each other? It's, you know, they respond to noise. They're purely instinctual to go and, and, and bite something. But as they're moving as a swarm, are they even aware of each other's presence? Because as, as we see Brad Pitt, you know, walking through the end, they they may be aware of him as an obstacle to not run into him. And I think that must be the same thing possibly to each other. Because, I mean, some of the powerful visuals of that assault in, in Israel of just the mountain of just scaling over each other of I have this need to get over there. And I will just claw my way to the top of whatever. I don't know what these things are, but I'm going to just have this sole single-minded purpose to get over there to bite, you know, something. And I thought that it's a unique take on the, the zombie of almost the extreme individualism or sort of the self-interested individual that has no regard for society at all. If you think about what these zombies do, they cause the complete collapse of society because they are just so for lack of a better word, just selfish and are out to do something and have no, no regard for anybody else around them. And because I, as I was talking to some uh, friends, 
that were curious about the film. They said, well, what do the zombies want? I said, you know, I, all we know is that they like to go and bite people. But it's not like there's like traditional zombies. Like I said, there's not eating the brain. There's not like feasting on the flesh because as we see early on, and, they, and yeah, they, it's not as they, if they, they eviscerate. They bite yeah, they, they bite like they and bite. Yeah, it's like to spread to spread the virus, to spread the the selfishness. And they they you know, I thought, wow, this is a really again not a typical zombie film. It's I think I don't know. I may be layering some meaning on there, but a story of how those selfish individuals can cause the collapse of society. And I thought, oh, well, maybe this isn't even about biological warfare. It's about how, I don't know, there were some selfish individuals that almost caused the collapse of this nation because of their greed. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, that when you think of what the ultimate evil is in this in this film, it's, you know, it it is, it, it does appear to be uh, it not, um, uh, the lack of it, it's not cooperation it, but it is it ends up appearing coordinated but it's it's yes. not coordinated it's it's uh, uh it is that that extreme individualism um it makes you uh, you know just a i don't know if i'd call this a gaffe or anything and not to sidetrack the conversation but considering that they looking at it that way they're inclined to climb over something if they need to in order to get to a human to bite uh, it, it makes me wonder why, why would they not see a human with a disease that way? Like as a rock in the road, like I'm mm, thinking of specifically yeah. of, of the, the boy in, right, in yeah. Israel, who's kind of, kind of squats down. Why don't they view him as a rock and step on him and, and step over oh, him rather yeah. than purposefully avoid him? Yeah. I don't know hmm. if that's a gaffe. I don't know if that's intentional, yeah. but you just ruined the movie they, for me. I totally ruined it. <laughs> But they avoid rather than clamber over. That's true. That's true. They do, they do treat them differently than they treat their own kind because yeah. they will they will step over, climb over, and 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 to get yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. We'll find out in the sequel. That's right. That's right. What we'll is the sequel going to be? So there's an unnamed project. Uh, I need to I need to look on Brad Pitt's on on uh, Daniela Cortez IMDb page. The unnamed project is oh no, not hers. Who is it? Maybe it's Brad Pitt. Called World War X. No. Well, World War Y. <laughs> Where was that? Uh, I have no idea. I will be very curious to see what they do with the sequel to this. I, I think that there are. I mean, just like we've been, you've been bringing up, Steve. There's a lot of interesting uh, observations of modern of the modern world, and you know, of this potential selfishness and all this sort of stuff that you can really layer into the story and i'm curious where they go with that on on any of the uh, uh of the films that follow this one it's a, definitely an interesting uh thing that they can layer into it and it's i think it speaks well to the nature of zombie films right from the uh the beginning i shouldn't say the beginning beginning but when romero first made his film there's always been a a, a layering of more meaning behind the zombies in the films. And I think that's always been a fascinating element to zombie films in all of the great ones. And I like that this one has that. And I like that we're able to have this conversation about this film. Yeah, it's interesting that, I mean, we've, we're talking about the, you know, about the, you know, the ultimate evil of the film, the bad guy of the film, and, and not so much about the monsters. Um, they, I mean, ultimately they are, you know, particularly in that final scene in the, in the disease vault, they are monsters. Uh, but, uh, that ends up being, uh, not a primary element of the film. And I think it's a, as we've said already, I mean, I think it's a mistake to consider this, conceive of this as a, as a zombie film. It, it is a, it's a fantastic, I, I think, disease film. It's a fantastic plague film and a much more interesting cultural reflection as a result. But it's not a great 3D film. <laughs> I did see it in I did see it in 3D because that was the time that I could get to it and it didn't bother me but it didn't really add anything to it so I you know it was one where I thought they didn't really play around with the depth given the sort of the scale of a lot of the things I thought okay there's going to be some opportunities to really have some you know interesting layering and and depth and it it was one where I'm like I oh was was that I took my glasses off oh I guess that yeah, I, there was nothing really 3D about it. So if you're going to see it, 
don't bother paying the extra for the 3D. I didn't get anything out of it. There wasn't anything that really added any, you know, sort of visual, you know, richness to it by seeing it in 3D. Yeah, I saw the 3D also, again, only because that was the time slot that I could get to. And I got to agree with you. And I think the thing that I enjoyed the most in 3D, which I feel uh, it shouldn't be, uh, but it was the opening title sequence. Yes, I, I the title sequence was great in 3D. And the was, layering of yes. all of the different levels and some of them, how the three, the the dimension that was sticking forward the most was like an out of focus slash across something. Yes. I really enjoyed the whole title sequence in 3D. It was great. And yeah, then from the, there, it, was, it wasn't necessary. Yeah. Well, and and it confirmed on the is it real 3D dot com oh, website. It is yeah. a fake 3D film. Oh, of course, right. Yeah. Um, sadly, but um, you know, but I, I actually uh, did manage to see it in 2D, and I quite liked it. How oh, are the opening it's titles? Uh, not, and that's the thing, not memorable at all. I don't even know what you guys are talking about. See, not spectacular. Uh, see, we, Andy and I had a much richer experience. Credit experience. And the same thing was said with the uh, world of, or the, the Oz film. The credits, I think, were, were really oh, standout yeah. in 3D. Yes. The rest of it, there were a few. Nah. Um, well, uh, what else, do we have any other uh, key points we want to bring up, or should we uh, flick chart it and then talk a little bit about sound? We can I think do that. We've covered it all, yeah. yeah I think, I, think we I, have. I, I've hit all my stuff. I'm looking forward to the sequels. I vastly yeah. enjoyed this, and uh, very happy to have uh, had a chance to see it. So, likewise, highly recommend it. It's uh, but, but don't go in thinking it's a zombie film. Listen, no. listen to our words. Hear us. Hear me later. Listen to me now. <laughs> now and hear me later. And hear yeah. me later. It's a. Uh, it, it is a. I think it's a a, a, a nice addition to Mark Forster's uh, catalog. Yeah, definitely um, is. And all right. yeah, all right. That's that's what Ready? I got. Let's let's okay. flick chart this thing. Flick chart uh, at uh, flickchart.com slash the next reel. You can find us there. And uh, what are we up to? Is this ninety <gasps> seven? Uh, it's not quite. We're we're mid nineties. Uh, we're mid nineties. Yeah. All right. All right. World War Z or the Sandlot. <laughs> this is well, the best part about flick chart. Yeah, <laughs> so no, no regard for you anything. Don't, you don't want to compare at all. It's now, the, the Sandlot, tell me again where the zombie apocalypse happened in that movie. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Somewhere around third base. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, uh, my gosh. It was the dog, the foaming of the dog, the mouth with the <laughs> rabid <laughs> dog, zombie. Big zombie dog. Big zombie dog. There you go. Wow. I'm gonna go. I, yeah, I think it's just I, I. Maybe it's because it's it was so much higher than my expectations. But I think there's so much. It's one that I'm really looking forward to seeing again and just delving into these characters in the story again. So World War Z. Yeah, me too. All right, World War Z or Zero Dark Thirty. Oh. <laughs> I, I have again. To... I I'm World War Z. I think. I really, just, I, I think really just, just for the pure, um, you know, it's a, a big, ambitious zombie film, and I just love the the globe trotting aspect of it. And I just, I really had fun watching this one. And I, Zero Dark Thirty, don't get me wrong, it's it's an absolute oh, yeah. genius film. I think it's just spot on, perfect. But uh, World War Z is just something that I could find myself watching uh, time and time again. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, that's tough because I mean I saw Zero Dark Thirty I saw that twice in the theater saw it again on DVD have loved it every single time it's just such a strong but it, 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 it's one that I think yeah okay I think as far as enjoyment and repeated viewing I'm probably going to come back to World War Z more often and it's I think Zero Dark Thirty has its the strength and its time and I think there'll be a little bit more timely timelessness to world war z perhaps okay <laughs> okay <laughs> reluctantly all right reluctantly he agrees world war z or the treasure of the sierra madre oh, oh andy i can't wait to hear what you say <laughs> i have to go with sierra madre on this yes one. you have to that's yeah. just a masterpiece it's i it's think, just, I think yeah. i've i've lost that argument so many times oh, you can't <laughs> yeah Okay. Oh, here we go. Uh, uh, Brad Pitt against Brad Pitt. World War Z or Moneyball? Moneyball. <sighs> Hands down, baby. I love that movie. I know. 
I do too. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I would agree. Yeah, and I don't. I we don't have to feel guilty because it's also Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt. That's right. That's and it's right. yeah, good, good, solid performances in both films. We're supporting yes. him regardless. Yes. Uh, World War Z or the bank job? I think I would go World War Z. I think I yeah. love the bank job, but I, again, it's just this globe-trotting nature yeah. of the movie and just the zombies, and uh, it, you know, yeah. it has great moments all through it. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I right, concur. we got that. Um, let's see. We're at, uh, all right, I guess that's it. We're at number 21 on Flickchart. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, that's a good place for it. Yeah. Moving up, yeah. yeah. I'm happy with that. Uh, yeah, I am too. That's good. I can see that. It's a it's a fun film, and I, I, think, it will, I think it will stand up, and I think it's definitely a good one to fit in with the the genre of the zombie film oh absolutely oh, yeah. yeah definitely absolutely. definitely Some, a fresh take on that keep it keeps it keeps that genre alive does something new with it and it, I, I was really surprised how smart this film was for sort of the summer blockbuster tentpole there was just a lot a lot to it yeah I, there, so far, I you know we look at the big summer. What are the other big summer movies that we saw? Uh, all Man all of the Steel, ones that Andy hates. All yeah. the other movies Andy <laughs> hates plus this one. I loved. Uh, this is the end. Yes, wait, wait, I haven't wait, seen that hold one. Hold on, hold on a second. Hold yeah. on a second, because I <laughs> seem to recall, and this may have been off, off recording, but Andy saying he cannot stand. Seth Rogen that he didn't want to even. Oh, see he's that uh, yeah, off and on the record. He's been. Oh, he's okay. been yeah. I totally did say that, and I it got such good reviews that I I couldn't avoid it. Like word of mouth, everything I heard, I was like, I'm gonna have to go see this movie, and I really enjoyed it. So wasn't expecting it to, but I did. I can't wait to see it. I you know you're not the only person I've heard say. I was at dinner the other night. And the 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 uh, waitress comes up and says, "Oh my gosh, have you seen this movie?" Out of the blue. It's absolutely fantastic, she says. Yeah. And I, you know, I tend to take the advice of uh, the wait staff at popular restaurants. Uh, as one should. Mm-hmm. One should. <laughs> you haven't seen it yet, Steve? No, I have not seen it yet because I just, I don't. Yeah, I, I, and it's been it's been getting great reviews. It's it's one where I'm like, oh, really? Well, okay. I may, I may, <laughs> I may reluctant. I may reluctantly go and you're going to see it. Than it. I expect. And then you're yes. going to want to put it right up on your shelf, right next to your uh, director's cut of the Green Hornet. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to because we haven't talked to you about uh, Man of Steel, and in in particular, if I understand, you didn't see World War Z in Atmos, right? You ju- it was no, just no. you managed to get to Man of Steel in the uh, Dolby Atmos sound system. I have not yes. heard seen a film in this uh, using this sound, and Andy, I believe, has not. You're it. Uh, yeah. Tell us I mean, what you thought. I I was I didn't know I was seeing a Dolby Atmos film until you know it, <laughs> I was they were because they were little posters they were giving away for like kids to take home and at the bottom it said like Dolby Atmos I'm like wow yeah rub it in you know whatever you're showing it someplace else and I sit down and this huge sound Dolby Atmos it was like. <gasps> I get to see a film in Dolby Atmos. They're going to be so jealous. <laughs> and, and, and true, we are. We're very I jealous. Mean, I mean, it was... This was not a film where I think there was a lot of refined sound work because there was just so much that was just loud right. all across the board. There were some interesting moments, though, where uh, particularly when Zod takes over sort of the broadcasts of the of the TVs, the oh, yeah. sound the sound would sort of move around the theater so when it was broadcast and it was i think in the in the clark and the kent household wait are just, you talking about when he took over rss feeds yeah and everything it was on the tv it was everywhere so yes dumb. he's <laughs> so from the tvs it was it was projected like just at the front of the theater like you were watching the tv the sounds coming from there and then when it went to sort of like the situation room it was all around the theater it was just this voice so like the voice of God coming into the theater, speaking from everywhere. And so that was one of the moments where I thought, wow, there, there, there's some placement of sound going on here that not the precision that I expected from some what I've heard about, you know, I think it's like uh, 64 different speakers and they can really move sound around. There wasn't a lot that 
was noticeable. So maybe because it was not a distraction, but again, there was not a lot that called attention to itself. So, and I think it's because it was, you know, again, everything was loud, you know, Oh, we're going to be, you know, slammed through another building. It's going to be a loud explosion. Oh, Zod's going to do stuff. It's going to be loud. Uh, but it, there was some richness to the sound. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing something else there with that maybe has sort of a, a different range of, yeah, a, yeah. of sound of sound to it, but a wider it was, variety maybe. Yeah. Yeah. You get the sense that that you know this is one of the early Dolby Atmos films, and then there's yeah. a I, I have this kind of image in the back of my mind of these sound engineers who are you know cutting their teeth on some very new technology and yeah. I, I think learning to mix 64 independent channels. Yeah. Uh, yes. Is... I think it's, so I'm looking forward to seeing what, you know, I think there's going to be a film that comes out that's going to do something really innovative with it. So I'm looking forward to that of, you know, really understanding the tools, what they can do with it and, and how that's going to be effective in telling the story. Unfortunately, um, it will also be 184 frames per second HD <laughs> IMAX 7. So I am counting on the fact that yeah, <laughs> I, I'm wondering if Desolation of Smog is going to be an Atmos on that theater. I don't know if that's one that has the 48 frames per second or not. So I'll have to, uh, you know, if I if I go if I tell you guys I'm going to the theater to go see it and then you hear my head exploded, then it may have been. The, <laughs> 96 frames in the thousand channels of sound that did it to me. So at no point during the uh, the great uh, Superman scream, uh, did any of the audience members' ears start to bleed in the <laughs> not Atmos? That, not, that, not that I noticed. Not right. that I noticed. But it, it was, again, uh, it did feel full. You know, it was definitely immersed in sound. And as I said, there was that particular scene where I did notice where they really played around with sort of placement of sound which was which was nice it added an extra dimension to that of sort of bringing us into it but again not probably the most ideal film for refined sound work not uh, to discredit their work on that film or anything but in terms of hearing descriptions of oh we can place a sound anywhere in the theater you know that well how would you do that i mean if a pin drops and you want it to be over here over there they can do that but there weren't opportunities for that here right right uh it looks like um uh, so the 2013 release schedule um there are obviously a lot of dolby out most movies that are now um have now hit uh oblivion Iron Man 3 was Atmos, Star Trek Into Darkness ep epic. The next round, we've got Monsters University, The Heat, Mr. Go, The Congress, Pacific Rim will probably be a good oh, one to check out. That'll okay. probably um, be the next one in there. The Wolverine, yeah. Percy Jackson, The Sea of Monsters, Elysium. Elysium, I, I, check me on this, Ooh. gents, but that is seriously the loudest trailer in every theater I've seen. It is, <laughs> it is obscenely loud. Uh, Insidious Chapter 2, that's a big one for Andy. Uh, Lost Place, Gravity, oh. Oh, that will be interesting. The that. comments from the people behind me, though, during the trailer, uh, that was before World War Z. Yeah. And it, it starts, it's like George Clooney and Sandra yeah. Bullock floating in space talking about the beautiful sunrise and yeah. all this stuff. And the guys behind me were just like, what am I watching? <laughs> <laughs> and then it exploded and everything went crazy. But it was just like <laughs> that for me to find so well <laughs> <laughs> that's good uh i think the last batch after that one uh on solitaire uh young detective d rise of the sea dragon and then the white storm that's the that's the current list at dolby atmos movies okay uh, which you can find on dolby.com and then there is also a, an atmos theater locator where you can add your um uh, zip code and find out a, a theater closest to you um and that's um I'll put the link in the show notes for that. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, is there one near me? I'm really sweating it now because I'm... Uh, <laughs> really <laughs> lame selections. Yeah. <laughs> well, all those hipsters in the Pacific Northwest don't like to have their sound. Now, well, let me just tell you, none of these theaters <laughs> are in our, our hipster hotbeds. <laughs> there are much more hipstery areas of this town. They've chosen the most obscure parts of town. That's funny. Oh, it's maybe, actually, the hip, maybe the hipsters are demanding reviews. No, you know what? I'm not even I'm not even kidding. There isn't one in Oregon. 
There is a, the nearest one is across the border in Vancouver, Washington. Vancouver, Washington, I love you. The word that that the, the vernacular when de- describing that you have to go to Vancouver, and this is for people who live there that are dear friends of mine. They call their town Vantucky. <laughs> Not me. They call they're they're, they're oh. allowed to do that because they live there. I'm just I'm just the messenger, and all of the the nearest theaters, the top eight are in Vancouver, Washington, Everett, Washington, Linwood, Washington. Those are in Seattle and Sacramento. <laughs> Sacramento? That's a hike, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. 483 miles from my house. That's right around the corner. <laughs> or Folsom, California. My, the 10th is Folsom, California. Oh. Oh. Uh, I'm chagrined and insulted by Dolby's rollout of this. <laughs> It has been slow. I was surprised. I didn't even know that they brought it to Arizona yet. So it was nice to hear. Uh, a lot of nerve, Dolby. <laughs> you just made the list, the nemesis list. <laughs> oh, wow! Watch have out, we, Dolby. Have we? Um, I don't want to. I don't want to jump ahead, Andrew. But have have we? Do we have a, a, a next month's pick on the list? For nope, the next I, I think I think we're going to be deciding uh, shortly. Excellent. Oh, okay. Very excited about it. so it's a, it. None of us know. It's a big secret. Uh, and so we will be uh, deciding that shortly. But for everybody else, thanks for joining us. Head out to um, uh, thenextreel.com and uh, just click on the film board there, and you can see all the past episodes that we've done of the film board. Uh, you can catch our uh, you know our our hit episode on Now You See Me last month. Extremely popular, <laughs> and uh, and so you can check out uh, the film board. You can learn more about us. You can listen to the uh, regular weekly show, and uh, make sure you subscribe in iTunes and uh, leave us nice comments because it really helps other people discover the show. We so appreciate that. Anything else I'm missing for old news, gents? I think you hit it all there. Got it covered, Governor Steve Sarmento. Thank you so much, brother. As always, thank you. And Andy, I'm. I think it's fair to say I have had. Enough of you today. <laughs> I think it is fair to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, uh, I'm going to bed. Good night. <laughs> I'm going to go gnaw on some uh, zombie flesh. <laughs> Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. Thenextreel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and the Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to thenextreel.com slash originals and get your next read today. Mm-hmm.